Now, KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, good morning, good Saturday. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A little bit of sunshine. Yeah, hey, that big ball, that burning thing in the sky, big round yellow thing, that's the sun. And that warm, radiant heat, that's the sunshine. That's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The Midwest, KMOX, all part of the same family. Thank you for joining. Two hours, the Helitech Home Improvement Show. We have lots of things to talk about. The weather is good. We're getting ready. We're sneaking up on the end of November, beginning of no, or the end of October, beginning of November. Yeah, get ready. I know leaves are starting to change, getting a little bit of hint there and starting to really pop out. Winter's just around the corner. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, I promise I won't yet talk about ice melt. N- not, not yet. Right now we'll talk about your topics. Phone lines, 10 phone lines, 314-436-7900, 436-7900. Toll free anywhere on the globe at 800-925-1120, 800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. I am your at-your-service host for the Helitech Foundation and Waterproofing Repair Home Improvement Show. I've been here for, I don't know, 20, 21 years, something like that. I look forward to seeing you every week. Yes, I do see you. I see those phone calls pop up on my computer, and I see what the topic is, the name, and honestly, how long you've been waiting. So I'm accountable to get these questions in and out and help you with the maximum value to you and your family. 314-436-7900, toll-free 800-925-1120. I am, I am too, a CAMOX listener part of the family on so many different levels uh part of the at your service phone group on the weekend we are uh, accountable responsible <laughs> frankly we love it to help you i mean all the various topics and things we talk about from mike miller i have to share with you my my yard my garden everything green is looking a whole lot better since i you know became part of the KMOX broadcast family you follow up a guy like mike miller you can't help but look better. You know, it just is what it is. Uh, and that, and now, uh, I know, it's a little frost on the pumpkin there. Uh, yeah, we're sneaking up on that. Halloween just around the corner. Thanksgiving sneaking up. Yeah, 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 come on. Don't. And then right behind that, boom. I know, it'll be January. Well, but the forecast, the Farmer's Almanac forecasts the winter to be just a little chillier than most here in the midwest this year yeah i don't know if you put any stock and trade in farmer's almanac never mind it's been around for hundreds of years yeah people before us we're not the first humans to walk the face of the earth this is not new yeah things and pattern and history repeats itself whether we admit it or not and that's why the camel x home improvement show sponsored by helitech is here to kind of keep that information keep the knowledge the experience all of that stuff you know if you call it you know family lore uh, farmer's almanac expertise experience new homeowners experienced homeowner we're, we're just passing it paying it forward passing it down 
right here on KMOX. 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120. This weekend, going on actually right now, Lodge It Appear, is a lower-level seminar going on right now from 11 a.m. to noon. Uh, Maybe a few more minutes to sneak in there, but kind of interesting if you have anything planned for your lower level that might be the stop off to sneak in there uh, people will stick around the afternoon to answer a few questions for you uh, so a little late to rsvp i just say stop by and you know see what you can learn in the last few minutes uh, and that is at lodge de pair right there to pair road and manchester now, take a peek see what's in 11 to noon right now we have topics yeah it it's going to be heating season uh some of the simple things humidifier yeah humidifier as you fire up and turn on the heater the furnace whether gas fired electric geothermal uh heat pump whatever your source of information of heat or source of heating energy if you will you know take good care of it that thing's taking care of you you know an ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure uh, you've heard that before <laughs> no no i'm not that smart i didn't originate that i'm just uh you know a, a good student and and the reason i'm on camo x is i tend to hand it down pay it forward um and my dad really the the founder of mosby building arts my day job if you will really that was the concept was if you learn it and you master it you now have the responsibility to hand that down, pay it forward, make sure that knowledge continues to be part of our community. No rocket science there. And here it is, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Uh, and, you know, just FYI, my name's Scott Mosby. I own and operate Mosby Building Arts. This is our 72nd year. Uh, we were founded in 1947 by my dad, Sam Mosby. If you wonder where I learned all this stuff, not all of it, but most of it came from my dad. Despite my best efforts as a young punk, um, I was a good student. So, you know, even though I sneered and, and pretended I didn't learn anything, man, I, I followed my father around. Uh, I, I knew that guy knew some stuff, and uh, frankly, I'm the same way. I, uh, there are associates at Mosby Building Arts that are just that sharp. I follow them around, too. And they wonder, you know, Scott's following me around. He's listening to what I'm saying. Am I on trial here? You know, so it, it, But it isn't. Knowledge, experience, and value comes from all sorts of different places. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. If you want more information on Mosby Building Arts, phone number is 314-909-1800. Kind of simple to remember. 909-1800 in area code 314. Or the website, call Mosby. Try to make it simple. C-A-L-L-M-O-S-B-Y dot com. Right now, it's home improvement. I say we fire up the phones and get Bosco, my little gerbil in the background here. He's running. Uh, let's see what we can do for phones. And uh, let's just see what's cooking here. Let's start with Rich. Hey, Rich. Good morning. Welcome to Cam White's, my friend. How can I help? Hi, uh, Scott. Love the show. Thank you. Last November, I had a concrete driveway and patio poured. I just recently, last week, got done sealing it. But do I need to fill those con- uh, saw-cut expansion joints? And if I do, what would you recommend I use? Uh, saw cuts, no, Rich. Number one, kudos to you in terms of uh, the perfect timing for sealing a, a driveway going right into winter. I mean, you're you're spot on. Um, uh, so 
excellent time to do it. As far as the caulking joints on a new driveway, I wouldn't fill those in. They can be filled in if you have standing water because if the water sits in those saw cuts and then it freezes, it can splay out or spall out or V out those nice saw cuts. But the saw cuts are only um, human-induced weakness lines where, you know, concrete shrinks and it cracks. That's, their, you know, there are a couple of warranties that come with concrete. Number one, it will crack, and number two, nobody will steal it usually. You know, it's, but no, I would not, uh, and I don't advocate cle- um, sealing um, with caulk or filling those saw cuts with anything, and then your expansion joints, the wider ones, half inch with any kind of a material or, or uh, you know, asphalt expansion joint. Now, you're too early. You may uh, sneak up on this when that black expansion joint or the wood or the zip strips, those things have about a 10-year life, and that's when you'll probably face uh, caulking the big ones. But the, the saw cuts, Rich, in my opinion, uh, especially in the first five years, just don't need any attention other than that simple sealer you've already applied. Okay, great, because I guess the water, it'll just run straight through the, the concrete right into the rock underneath, so there's not a worry about erosion or anything like that. No, no. The saw cuts are so small. Uh, over time, when your expansion joints, the bigger joints, uh, that is an issue. But a properly compacted and prepared subgrade under that concrete is made to take that water. And frankly, there's so little. When you get a heavy rainfall, that water comes right off the top of the concrete, right out of your saw cuts and your expansion joints to the sides. Uh, and very little of it goes through. It'll soak into the concrete. The concrete will actually hold that moisture. Uh, which is an issue for dropping and freezing and such. But now you're I've, I've new concrete driveway as long as it's properly sloped, and and frankly I love new driveways and new concrete. I, I when the rainstorm comes I go look at it to see where the water goes and I can tell how good the the crew was in shooting, grading, leveling, and sloping that concrete to take the water where it doesn't belong. So keep it off the concrete. All right, thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, good, good question, question, Rich. Thanks for getting us started here. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Hey, good weekends to you all. Uh, This is the beginning Saturday and Sunday. It's a lovely weekend in the Midwest. I love it. Phone lines, 314-436-7900 and 800-925-1120. This is Scott Mosby. I am at your service. We are on KMOX. Bosco turning out 50,000 watts. He's going to take a short pause, and we're going to be right back for more. After this, on KMOX, Scott Mosby at your service right now. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yes, indeed. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX, at your service. Phone lines abound, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120. What a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, you have some cold frost on the pumpkin mornings here. Uh, let's go to the phones and see what's happening with Sally. Sally, good morning. Welcome to KMOX. How may I help? Good morning, Scott. How are you? Fantabulous. How about yourself? Great. Pretty good. Pretty good. I do have one question that I started with and then thought of a second question while I was on hold. Mm -hmm. The first question is, I get black streaks in my toilet, and um, I went to the Internet to see what causes that because I clean every, you know, I clean pretty good. And uh, your company had a response to it and said that it was calcium or some chemical in the water and that 
you should use CLR or Lime Away. Mm-hmm. My question is, how do I apply it? Do I pour it in the tank or in the bowl or just spray it on the walls of the, the commode? Or how do I do that? Oh, hey, uh, good question. Uh, th- sorry I missed that on the delivery of that. Uh, it, first off, the reason and why it occurs, you, there's hard water. And normal cleaning products don't really stop. Uh, they make the surface slick and hard for those uh, um, minerals to stick to the porcelain of the actual toilet bowl. Over time, though, with just flushing, that new water coming from the water well, water source, or whatever, will build up on the walls of that porcelain, including that toilet. It could be totally disinfected, but now you have this very, very slight film of lime on that beautiful porcelain toilet. You can't see it because it's all white. Well, over time then, you get more uh, debris or, you know, just it, it holds moisture so that black stuff is oftentimes just the mold that would grow just like the stuff in your shower because it now has this little chunk of limestone ever so thin, <clears throat> excuse me, on the surface of your toilet bowl. And so the only way to get rid of that is, uh, you know, the is effectively muriatic acid and muriatic acid acid attacks lime and that is in CLR it is in lime away and it's also you know what bricklayers use to clean up the mortar on the outside of a new brick job uh, for that very thin lime stain that uh, you know is inevitably part of uh, laying up the bricks so uh, now two ways and here's another one that goes in there and I got about this far some years ago, and this is about 15 years ago. A woman called in and said, well, you can just use vinegar. It'll do the same thing. So frankly, Sally, um, uh, a quart of vinegar, half gallon of vinegar, I mean, in the Mosby household, I'm kind of a convenience guy. So I just take, you know, a quart, almost half gallon of vinegar, typical cheap, you know, nothing, nothing from special, just from the grocery store, dump it down in the toilet or CLR, spray it on. But I just wash it around. And frankly, I leave it in the toilet for three, four, five hours. And I'll just take a toilet brush and just swizzle around in the bowl. And remember to get it up underneath the edge, right underneath the edge. That's where the little jets, the little holes that make the swirling motion in the toilet. And it just effectively, you know, it doesn't clean. It doesn't disinfect. All it does is remove that simple lime depositor scale and on a really clean and and uh, butt deposited toilet if you put your finger in there and run around the toilet bowl you it'll feel like very very fine subtle sandpaper so that's all you're doing sally is taking the mineral the lime deposit on this porcelain it'll stick on anything and just uh, so I just typically um, swirl it around. Uh, and if you really want to get it done quickly, you know, you, you can take the water out of the bowl and then put only vinegar in. But I like the vinegar better than the Lime Away and the CLR uh, just because it's kind of a nuclear product and I'm impatient. So and, and it's just vinegar. But as you flush that down the toilet after it, it's clean and, and if you really have a big deposit, you know, of minerals on that side, you can leave it on overnight. There's no downside. It won't hurt anything in your toilet um, and you just swirl it around and just keep doing it until that stuff is gone and you know in some heavy heavy you know if it's been years since anything like this and uh, we've had people with two three-year-old toilets that are on water wells with hard water or in communities that have hard water that get this black buildup and it's embarrassing like you're a bad housekeeper nah it's just hard water 
Okay, so you you use it in the toilet bowl, not in the tank. Correct. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. My other question is this. Uh, Fifteen years ago or so, maybe longer, I had a a fireplace installed, and um, uh, some roof inspector that I hired just to come and take a look around said that the seal around the exhaust pipe that comes off of that fireplace uh, was not completely sealed, and I noticed that I had stains on my uh, ceiling tiles in my finished basement, but I couldn't imagine where they were coming from, and it, it seems that they were coming from the, um, the pipe that was coming out of my roof. Mm-hmm. Well, he fixed it. He tarred around it. He fixed it, and everything was fine. I went downstairs this morning and noticed a water ring on the same tile that was affected, the ceiling tile that was affected before. So I'm thinking that what he did has now dried up and maybe pulled away and allowed water to get in there again. Now I'm wondering, I see all these commercials for this spray rubber product. Is that a good product to get up there and use to seal off the opening there? Uh, yes, it is a good product, uh, but virtually any product will handle this. And, and frankly, when you have a leak like that and you're seeing stains, I advocate get somebody up there with some experienced eyes. So I would contact a roofer or somebody to go up and take a look at that thing because uh, here, here's um, that installed fireplace flue is a metal pipe that goes, of course, just from the fireplace unit all the way through the roof. And in most cases, there's virtually nothing that stops any water from passing through the attic, first floor, down to the basement. Uh, So if water does um, get inside the pipe, it's coming down. If it gets outside the pipe, you know, from the flashing at the roof line, it's coming down in all the way, you know, however much volume is there. Uh, the flashing is a metal collar that goes around that metal chimney flue. And it's just sheet metal to sheet metal. So at best, it's a decent seal, but not necessarily watertight. And then where it goes down to the actual roof, where that metal tucks underneath the shingles, if they don't run that back far enough, in ice and driving rain, uh, you know, sometimes those flashing pieces only stick out four or five inches. Well, you get a 30, 40, 50 mile an hour angular driving rainstorm, you can blow water up underneath those shingles more than five inches and you can get a little bit of leak. So I would have somebody go up there and uh, whether it's the spray seal product on TV, uh, whatever, it's not the quality of the product, it's the quality of the application. So, you know, the Dutch boy, if he stuck his finger in the hole of the dike to stop the leak, but he stuck it in the wrong hole, you know, the, the, the dike still leaks. So again, the value of the experience on a leak, uh, you can give it a shot yourself, uh, but roof cement has a, a life. Uh, I like good flashing because when a, a roof uh, or flashing is properly installed far enough underneath the shingles, it'll take snow, ice, uh, ice uh, creep, water dams, all that stuff um, without having roof cement or roof tar put on. But if you've had 10 years or years of performance, then the, the previous roofer did the right thing. The product has worn out. And this is where the flashing, in my opinion, is insufficient. You really shouldn't have to depend on goo 
to stop, whether it's caulk or tar or whatever, and, and unless you're unwilling to rebuild the flashing and, you know, carry it to its proper, usually oversealed, and kind of at Mosby, our, our concept is, you know, if good enough is good enough on the uh, flashing, then just go a little too far than good, do two or three times good enough, and then you'll be good enough for the rain, the driving storms, and the tornadoes, you know, when the, if the shingles get ripped off by a tornado, okay, well, that's a fair, that's a fair leak, but anyway, so that's kind of the ticket there. Okay, um, well, thank you very much, Scott, I appreciate yeah, long answer to a short question, Sally, but it's a, it's an important one that a lot of listeners would benefit from. Sure, sure. Thank you again. Have a All great right. God bless you. Bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, Camel X, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. This is Camel X. I am Scott Mosby. This is At Your Service. Stay tuned. We've got a great afternoon of stuff here on Camel X. You know, you, you know, you start the day with the alarm and Camel X, cup of coffee, breakfast, all of that. Thank you for taking us through your day. Scott Mosby, At Your Service, Camel X, back for more after this. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, Scott Mosby at your service and phone lines wide open. Bosco 50,000 watts on the treadmill in the back here, just turning out the KMOX signal. Yep, broadcasting out of Illinois from a tower near you, 314-436-7900, toll-free anywhere on the globe, 800-925-1120. Let's go to the phone lines here and speak with Patrick. Patrick, good morning. Welcome to KMOX, my friend. How can I help? Uh, morning, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate appreciate it and, and enjoy your show. Yes, sir. Uh, my uh, my question had to do uh, with some concrete, um, uh, um, the area of concrete. So I, I, I've got a new newly built home, and I was wondering, uh, if is it too late to seal the concrete driveway and sidewalk and porch? Uh, you're getting close. You're getting close. Now, keep here's the ticket on this, Patrick. Uh, if you know anything about gardening, once the soil gets about 50 degrees or better, the weeds start going, and that's when you want to get any kind of pre-emergent down before it hits 50. Likewise, there's a 70-degree temperature on sealing uh, and coating. The optimal temperature for sealing a surface is 70 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that, roughly speaking. Um, sure. So you want the concrete to be 70 degrees and that may mean you know that the air temp is 85 it may mean that the air temp is 60 but if that concrete is warm at 70 degrees uh, and that could be just from direct sunlight um, you know afternoon good sunlight throughout the day so the ticket is you need the surface to be warm enough for the chemical effects and the saturation or you know the the sealer to actually soak into that concrete so the magic uh, temp temperature is the material surface temp at 70 degrees okay all right so we we may be yeah uh, we may be past that window it's getting pretty chilly um yeah, you can get an Indian summer. You don't, and this isn't like you know. For the most part, you apply that stuff. You only need about three or four hours of good temperature and warmth. You know, so if you've got you know, and the way and concrete finishers know this. This is how they live their life. If it's thirty-four degrees, but the temperature's rising, they'll pour and finish concrete because they've got a window of six to eight warm hours ahead of them before it drops back down, and then they have to put blankets on cover. So anyway, your coating issue. 
You just need a window of rising temperatures warm enough and that surface of the concrete to be, you know, 60 plus, but optimally 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, very good. And, and one, I'm going to double dip here real quick. So on the on the slab, the concrete slab on the basement, um, where the where the support post is for the I beam, uh-huh. um, there's it looks like the concrete slab is just kind of taking its course and cracked, you know, right out of the gate here. Um, is that anything that I need to uh, worry about, you know, or apply any sealer to or anything like that? Uh, this is where your concrete posts are going through the concrete floor. Yes, correct. What does it look like? Describe it to me a little better, Patrick. It's it's just from from the foot of the post where it meets the the, the concrete slab of the basement. You just have in three directions. There's just out to the foundation. There's just a uh, just a like it's almost like a settling crack or something. Um, you know that just goes out in, in different directions. Oh, and they're just kind of hairline cracks, not really misaligned. Yeah, not not really, uh, not not anything of uh, you know, not not very yeah. large, right? It's just kind of hairline. Yeah, not, no consequence, nothing wrong there at all, frankly. I mean, here's the math on pouring concrete, especially flat concrete. You put uh, 1,000 gallons of water together with tons and tons of gravel, sand, and then Portland cement, and then, you know, a day later, you take 900 gallons of water out, which has volume, and that concrete shrinks because you remove something that has volume and mass. Uh, so even though it's just a, a liquid to really start that chemical, um, uh, process of curing, you have this post coming through a slab, and it's inducing a weakness point. You know, because so it's an, a kind of an expansion joint. And those little cracks are shrinkage cracks from where the water is drying and curing. Um, no consequence. And keep in mind, underneath that concrete post, there is a footing. So before they poured that floor, the concrete floor that sits on top of that footing. Uh, you know, there's a two foot by two foot concrete pad that's at least eight inches yeah. thick in this part, and maybe twelve inches. Who knows? Uh, so, no consequence, no concern. Um, pay attention to the cracks. If they start misaligning or moving, then there'll be another one somewhere else in the floor that's matching that. You know, if it goes up in one place, it goes down in another. There's a leverage hinge point in there somewhere usually. Yeah, and, and that'll and, and you'll see some of that, I guess, as the house settles. What what is the what does it take for what's normally for a new home? What is its settle time? Uh, well, concrete uh, generically in 28 days reaches 90 percent of its strength. You know, according to the mix, if they didn't get too much water in it or you know whatever all the admixtures. So roughly in 28 days, you get 90 percent of max strength of concrete, and then for the rest of its life, it keeps getting harder from then on. So generally in the first month, which is why you generally see shrinkage cracks, whatever it is, in the first month. And then over the first year or two, um, you generally you know, see a little bit more, but not a whole lot. Anything around a driveway, patio, or porch where you get big movement is not normally the concrete, but it's the subgrade, usually the settling of the soil next to a foundation, uh, which then the driveway connects to the to the garage and that you know place where they dug the hole to put the forms in and pour the foundation that's where the movement is so you know frankly the concrete gets a bad rap it's usually the guys that uh, backfilled or didn't properly prepare the subgrade of concrete that causes the problem okay and that, that house will settle in about two years i take it then is that correct 
I've seen him go for seven to ten, especially in the overdig, because you never know. Uh, you know the the overdig, meaning that if you have a thirty by fifty. Uh, foundation generally you dig a hole 34 by 54 two feet too big on the outside with enough room for people to get down in that over dig but then you have to angle it back now you've got osha issues you don't want to bury a guy working on the fountain so now the the hole gets 36 37 feet so you know now with the osha rules and such it gets bigger and bigger um and then you have more settling so you know if you don't get water in that over dig for four years it's not going to settle much so then you get a bunch yes, of rain right. five years later, and now you've got a bunch of trenches around your house. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Scott, I appreciate all the info. And, and again, I appreciate your show, and thanks for taking my call. God bless you, and have a great day. Thanks, Patrick. Right back at you, brother. Okay, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Next up, let's go to Chuck. Hey, Chuck, Scott Mosby, Saturday morning. How can I help, my friend? Uh, yes, Scott. I was calling because we uh, got a new... Uh, HVAC system in uh, January of 2017, and I just had them out to service it, and our humidifier solenoid was out. Uh-huh. And they are saying that they think the reason that that went out is because we actually have a pretty bad hard water issue. Um, when we first moved in, we had a stainless steel dishwasher that you couldn't see any stainless steel inside. Oh. So we spent time cleaning and we stay on top of it, but they're thinking that it's the hard water problem is so bad that it's causing like the solenoid to go out faster than normal. And so I didn't know. Um, I've seen stuff like these scalers for like 150 bucks, where you basically plug it in and wrap a wire around the water line. I've seen three thousand dollar systems. I didn't know what the best course of action was. All right, they're telling you the truth. Uh, hard water, uh, you've heard of plaque around the inside of a vein or an artery. It's like, well, you've got hard problem, heart problems. You had too much cholesterol. It's all around your arteries, and now you have issues with, you know, heart attack, and we need to do... Well, think of hard water as cholesterol for your water line and that lime will just continue to build up we got started this morning with sally asking about black streaks in her toilet bowl that's just an excessive mineral buildup so this is serious stuff uh, it'll get the solenoid in your dishwasher it'll get your humidifier it will get your uh, washing machine because anything that has a moving part with water going past it, it'll sludge up all your shutoffs, your stops. Um, it's a big deal. So I urge you, if you've got, get your water tested and go for a, a full treatment thing and stay away from the electronic things. Um, if it's not changing the pH for a long time, I get questions every now and again, does it work? Well, the answer is yes, it does work, but it only works immediately for a few minutes. Well, if you soften the water and then you go away for a a week that water just reverts right back and then you wind up with the mineral deposits again so um, you know pay me now or pay me later but you're better off paying me now and getting a water treatment system for that house because it'll manifest in a lot of ways that cost hundreds of dollars each so you know <laughs> pony up and get her done okay thank you very much yeah I wish I had a better question or better, better answer for you but you know there's a lot of pain behind that answer how's, how's that <laughs> Thanks. All right, Chuck. Thanks for the call. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am Scott. I am at your service, and I'm having a good time. Hope you are, too, right here on Campbell X. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. 
All right, folks, home improvement, Camo X right here at your service. Hey, if you're thinking of something being done around your home, whether professionally, DIY, whatever you're doing it, you're sneaking up. It's almost too late for the holidays. I mean, get ready because you're now entering. If you think about the time it takes for a consumer to decide what they want, explore, you know, contractors, costs, selections, choices, color codes, choose carpet, paint, light fixtures, all those things. Give yourself some time. Start early because it, it really, if you're planning on getting something done four or five months from now, today is the start date. And the message is, if you're having smaller projects, you can get them done by Thanksgiving and Christmas. But, man, you're talking about scurrying now. Get on the horse and get going. Because the people who lose or add the stress and lose the choices is the consumer. Yeah, the contractor does this all the time. We're used to, you know, hurrying up. The issue is you need time to make those decisions, have those conversations, hear from your spouse, your roommates, you know, everybody in the household, what do you really want? So my message is start early, start now for anything you're thinking to be done this winter because it's important. Let's go to the phones and see what's happening with Jody. Hey, Jody, good morning, X. how can I help? Hi, um, I had a question about the popcorn ceiling. I'm on the fence on whether to take them down and I'd be doing majority of the work myself, so or um, putting tile over it. I was just worried about the health. I take a risk of I take care of my ten month old grandson, and does the residuals if it was a seventy seven house stay in the air? Um, yeah. Uh, what you're referring to, that popcorn ceiling, um, asbestos was a big deal. Most of that popcorn ceiling has it in there. Asbestos was the wonder fiber. It was used almost everywhere. Um, so my advice, and frankly what we do at Mosby, is we typically go over the top of that popcorn ceiling because the labor uh, it's incredibly labor intensive to scrape that stuff off Uh, then you have to put new drywall uh, mud over the bumpy part that's left Uh, so you're creating a mess you get that stuff everywhere it could be asbestos even if it's not you're talking about drywall dust that's a big deal you get anybody with any kind of a minor respiratory problem you know you're you're just asking for health problems so if you're going to do this in my opinion Jody, hire a pro, have the drywall over the top of that popcorn ceiling, um, and even then you're going to have to have an asbestos test on it to make sure, just you know, just for the work people, and, and then as well for the occupants of the home. It, it's a big deal. Yeah, I was afraid of that. I know when I moved here 30 years ago, that was one of the first things I did was rollered over <laughs> with semi-gloss, believe it or not, and then found out you don't do that, but that was... Well, you're okay. Ago, I mean, sure. painting painting over that is a is an acceptable encapsulation method. The, the problem is you you're not supposed to have any of the stuff fall off. Well, it does get in the roller, so but painting is a reasonable method of managing asbestos. But you don't scrape that stuff off the ceiling. That is not a reasonable method of encapsulation. Okay, <laughs> I didn't want to do that job anyway. So well, I, I there's a ton of wisdom there. in there. If you were halfway done with that job three times as much you wouldn't want to do that it's 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 not fun yeah so go right over it yes ma'am okay great yep well, thank and you have so it tested much. one way or Enjoy the other your show oh thank okay. you 
we'll do that. Bye. Okay. Bye now. Uh, let's see what we've got here. Next up, let's uh, speak with Tom. Hey, Tom, Scott Mosby here. How can I help? Uh, Scott, we have uh, a new floor in our garage. And uh, when the people came in to do this, they excavated the old floor, which was absolutely necessary. And we found some history. It appears the previously existing floor had another floor under it. And associated with that, there we found at the perimeter of the flooring where the walls come down, it appears that there had been a garage sitting on the underfloor, and then they poured their cement over the top of the footed two-by-fours that were there. Yeah. Once my crew came in here and they excavated all this, a lot of those two-by-fours had disintegrated or were partially rotted. And uh, I'm in the condition right now of trying to stabilize those two-by-fours that have an inch or an inch and a half of their footing rotted away. There is still the cement footing that was there evidently originally. My guess on this is that there may have been a carport there, and the garage was built on the carport. Then they put a floor for the garage and overlaid the footings with their new cement. So I have cleaned that down to the point, and it's probably about uh, four inches wide where a two-by-four was laying there as the footing. And I want to stabilize those vertical two-by-fours by sistering two-by-fours alongside of it and then letting them rest on the concrete. Mm -hmm. Is that a practical thing to do? It is, but there's an easier, better way to do it. Um, treated lumber was created to make wood foundations. There's two grades of treated lumber. Um, there's a 020 and an 040, 20%, 40%. The 40% is suitable for below grade application. So that little tag on the end of the 2x4, 2x6, whatever it is, I'm going to suggest you shore up the ceiling, hold up the trusses, whatever it is. Uh, that may be, you know, nailing a 2x4 on the face of the studs and jacking them up a little bit. But you can put double, triple, quadruple treated 2x4 plates on and not have to sister these. You can have a too tall floor plate or sole plate, sill plate. The, the only thing is, is the first one has to be bolted down into the concrete suitably. So you need your anchor bolts, whether you're drilling through the top and putting in expansion anchors. Uh, because one of the things is you have to hold this puppy down from a wind lift in windstorms and tornadoes, Tom. So once you get that first plate on, you can cut that those studs off you know, four and a half inches up from the bottom. You just have to be really accurate with those. And one of the ways you can do that is actually, you know, screw a two by four or one by four or whatever, some sort of a, a guide for the sill or the sole of your power saw. And we just run right down that on a virtually perfectly straight line, exactly four and a half, four and five eighths off the concrete, whatever it is. Right. Um, but your first plate goes down, uh, you bolt it in, uh, and then you just cut your studs up too far 
and then you mount it up and you still have to really connect the second third and fourth sill plate on so you're down and then you just go ahead and you you know toenail your studs back into the plate but uh you know there's a that's an easier way to do it and do the wind lift uh you may need to add some side you know the perforated plates for uh, appropriate uh, seismic you know so that you're taking those two three or four plates on the bottom and and nailing them all together with one of these side pieces it looks like the edge of a truss plate up in the attic you follow I, me there I, I found the uh cement coated head of one of the uh bolts that somebody had put in the previous structure and it, it was it's still there it the, wow. the, the timber that was around it is all rotted away, but that cement-coated head of that, or maybe it's the the nut end of it, is still sticking out of the old cement that's still in pretty good shape. There you go. And, and you can supplement, too. You can, you, know, you can drill down into that concrete with a 3-8 half-inch anchor, go down 3, 4, 5 inches and put a new anchor in, and you'll hold that puppy down. But it beats the heck out of sistering alongside those studs. That'll do an easier job, but it's not nearly as structurally sound. Gotcha. You've educated me, sir, and I appreciate what you do. Well, Tom, I've skinned a lot of knuckles doing this sort of stuff, so consider me your pre-disastered research department. How's that? That's a very good description, sir. Thank you very much. (laughs) All right, Tom, thank you for joining KMOX and being part of the, the KMOX family. Uh, stay tuned. We've got another hour of the, the Helitech Home Improvement Show. I am at your service. Bosco and I are going to take a little break. We'll be back just a few minutes here. You know, you know as Bob Euchre said, just a little more right here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yes, indeed. Hour two, like a bad penny, man. I just keep showing up. Yeah, right here on KMOX. One more hour. Yeah, and an afternoon of fun and experts all day today on University of Camwex. So much to talk about. We've got things to uh, share with you. Phone lines wide open. Ten of them. 314-436-7900-436-7900. Toll free 800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. One more hour. Bosco in the background. Uh, we've got Cole, the producer, and we've got a lot of things happening. I wonder if you know what it takes for a news broadcast, something like CamoX. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, I'm I'm kind of a builder dude. You know, I I do this show on weekends because I love it, and it's some experience I can bring, and and I get to make the world just a little bit better. So that's my personal thing, is you know, you know, pay it forward, help somebody else, that kind of thing. You know, what Megan Lynch is is, you know, there's so many uh, radio. Uh, shows and and stations that don't have a newsroom. I mean, if you come in here into CamOx, there are people researching the news, looking into it, and you know. So that's why you're part of the CamOx family. Uh, but I get to see the inner workings and what it takes to put out a news broadcast. Um, I'm impressed with that. It, you know, it, it, and and frankly, I'm a I'm a business guy too. So you know, there's kind of an adage in the world that says if you have a business strategy and you don't put budget, investment, and people behind it, you don't have a business strategy. I mean, if you've got a plan and you don't put anything behind it, there's no plan. It's just lip service. Well, you know, how much lip service do we have out in the news media that doesn't do the research, doesn't have the people, 
doesn't invest in those systems, doesn't do the fact check, the back check, all the stuff that is, you know, part and parcel of KMOX. Just kind of who and what we are when, when it absolutely positively has to be right. You know, whether it's weather, school closings, you and I, KMOX. That, anyway, just so, you know, just from an, you know, a simple guy's point of view, it's like, I take for granted that stuff. But anyway, that's why you and I are KMOX listeners. Phone lines open 314-436-7900-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am Scott Mosby. I promise. I was this morning when I got up. And, you know, so far my driver's license and ID says I still am. You know, so despite some people's best efforts... You know, I'm still that guy. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Been pretty windy this morning. I promise I'll pick up my pace here because I I love doing these questions and answers. But what I love even more than that is explaining why stuff happens, uh, why some solutions are good, others are better. And by golly, if you've got a better mousetrap or a better solution, bring it on. Because I, I was quite intimidated years ago, you know, 20-something years ago. It's like, do you want to be the latest home improvement show expert? No, I'm not an expert. I'm a schmo that made a lot of mistakes. But it's like, well, just share that. And and frankly, if you know the history of the KMOX Home Improvement Show... I'm the latest guy that's at this seat, and there are many before me, and there will be many after me. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool. To, you know, it's like, wow, don't mess this up. This is a really powerful Camwick show. It's been going on since, you know, before I was born, frankly. And, you know, keep it going. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I promise we're going to pick up the pace here. Let's fire up and talk to my friend John. John, good afternoon. Welcome to Camwick. Wex, how can I help you? Hi, Scott. Uh, I have a porch that's covered with tiles uh, from the previous owner, mm-hmm. and they are slippery as all get out when it rains. And if it snows or anything, you can't even walk on them. What can you suggest for options to fix that? Uh, remove and put the proper surface on. Um, it, it just um, th- this is uh, um, all tiles are not created equal. All tile installers do not have the same amount of knowledge, and buying the right product uh, matters. For example, if uh, you're being hired to carry 50 tons down the highway at 70 miles an hour, you probably want an 18-wheeler. You know, a four-wheel family car won't do it, and when you're putting outdoor tile um, on a porch, or let's pretend you're putting it in a shopping mall where people come in every day with wet feet, snowy feet, slippery sole shoes, you better get a tread rating tile that has a little bit of a sandpaper finish. Uh, or, for example, ceramic tiles, some are suitable for wall application only because they're just too blasted slick. They're like glass. And so there's a tread rating. And basically what it means is how rough um, and sandpaper-like the surface is so that when you step on it, there's some grip or bite from those granules that or whatever that stick up that, that give you that um, proper footing. Uh, and think about it in showers and bathrooms. I mean, people go out and they buy tile because it's pretty. And they put it on the floor and they don't have a clue 
what a tread rating is. So somebody just picked the wrong tile, and just because it's pretty doesn't mean it's functional, and just because it's pretty and functional doesn't mean you're not going to, you know, break your tailbone in the snow and ice. So it's the wrong tile needs to come off and the right stuff put back on, period. Well, it's a big porch. It's uh, 20 by 12, and it's very difficult to remove the tile. Uh, I've already removed 3 by 3, and yeah. uh, it was very difficult. Can I cover over that tile with this tile with the special tread rating? Uh, yes, you can, and no, you shouldn't. Um, because the problem of tile outdoors is it will eventually succumb to moisture, freezing, and popping. And the proper way to adhere that stuff, you know, even in a covered area, you're going to lose some of it. The problem is, is you've got tiles that, they have about a seven-year rating. So in about seven years, whether it's a, you know, a brick patio or tile over cement, whatever it is, sooner or later, moisture is going to seep in or get around it and pop that stuff off. So in my opinion, you're just going to put a lot of good money over half good money. Um, and and so, yes, you can. It's done all the time. And then they chew out, you know, the tile contractor. It was, it's the decision to invest and get her all done or half a job. So if you're doing it, either go in or don't go in. Do or do not, there is no try. That's Yoda right from Star Wars. So, you know, uh, you know get her done. But if you put it over old substrate and you don't know how solid it is, and I promise if it's outdoors, it's got a, you know, general life. If you're lucky, seven years, sometimes as short as four or five if it's really open to the rain and the freeze. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, last question is uh, there's nothing with the uh, the sand finish paint that I could just paint over this tile with sand finish? Uh, yes, there is. Um, it's an epoxy or a urethane, and basically it really is. It's called grit granules, and it's broadcast, which means you take a handful of the stuff on wet paint, and you throw it across there, and it sticks in the paint, and then you paint over it again. The problem is you have a really slip sur- slippery surface in that first tile, so just the very issue of having it too slick, that means that the bondability or the open pores or grits or granules for a new coating to connect to to bond to bite in um, is not very good either so you almost have to take a grinder or a heavy garnet sandpaper and scar up score up the surface of that tile rip that shiny stuff off uh, to get the new stuff to to you know well in that amount of time you can really there are there are machines that are kind of like angular um, jackhammers that peel this tile off that you could probably have somebody come in and do it or or you know rent something like that but doing it by hand is painful okay thank thank you very much for your time appreciate your show okay john thank you my friend bye now camwex home improvement i, I mean uh, y- you hear a kind of a sign sound here uh do it or don't do it but don't almost do it because the cost of the materials, the cost of the labor for almost doing it is still a lot of money. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of like, boy, you think it's expensive price? Try paying for it twice, doing it the wrong way the first time, and then finally, oftentimes the wrong way the second time, third time. Uh, you know, Or you just you know, pay the pony up front and get her done right the first time. So you're going to hear me seldom advocate for... Uh, simple solutions because I, I you know in 50 years of all of this stuff and 50 years before me and my father we haven't found too many what we call at Mosby lasting value shortcuts um, there are a couple of them 
you know, like multiple treated plates on the bottom of a garage uh, floor uh, wall stud system. You know, there's a couple of these things that uh, experience matters. But keep in mind, you know, you kind of you know, there aren't no there are no shortcuts, and when you think there are, it usually costs you double. Anyway, so there we go. Scott Mosby, Home Improvement, KMOX. So much to talk about. Stay tuned. We're coming back for more after this. Bosco needs a little break. I mean, I know he had a few minutes off top of the hour, but my gerbil runs the treadmill, creates 50,000 watts. We get a little, you know, a little help, a little leg up from Ameren. They do a great job of power. 50,000 watts takes a lot. And, you know, Bosco's going to take another break. We'll be right back. Bye now. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yes, indeed. Home Improvement KMOX. We are the Helitech Foundation and Waterproofing Expert Home Improvement Show. Yep, been here for, I don't know, 60 plus years, something like that. I haven't, but we have. And we are at your service. So much to talk about. Keep in mind, if you're thinking winter work, get started now. Yeah, Whatever it is, uh, you don't just, even if you're building a doghouse. You know, we at Mosby Building Arts, we do design build. People say, well, what is design build? Well, it's the coupling of the design team with the construction team. Because the industry typically has architects and they kind of sit over there and then they have the contractor and he kind of sits over there and then the homeowner kind of sits in the middle and then when something goes wrong the architect points at the contractor contractor points at the architect and then the homeowner in the middle is trying to figure out without any experience of what the industry rules are and practices who done it you know so that we are both the architect and the contractor and there are only two parties here if somebody done it it was us good bad or ugly so we are responsible likewise to have that kind of ability or authority over the project if you're sharp experienced and you have good people generally it's easier to get done when you have everybody on one team and you know they talk about Bauhaus B-A-U-H-A-U-S you know one of the old concepts it's like I don't care if you're a mason architect designer carpenter whatever you all go in that room and you come back out when that building's done I don't care who you are what you call yourself or what your individual trade rules are it's right when it's right not before you know so that's kind of the deal on design but we have the authority to do everything right or wrong and then it's therefore our responsibility to have the training the experience the knowledge the product knowledge and all the moving parts it takes to get it right so you know when you got all that stuff it's actually easier to do a good job having that you know domain over all the pieces that can be wrong because they can also can be right if you get it right let's see what's happening here with my friend Alice very patient Alice uh, thank you for calling how can I help you Alice well, while I was waiting, I have a, two questions now. First, the important one, the outside of the house, we got leaf guard, mm-hmm. front and back. And over the garage, it comes down like icicles. So I get out every winter and knock them down. The rest of the house drains fine, but over the the uh, garage, it, water comes down, and it, I have icicles all the way across the a two-car garage. What can I do? Not much. Not much. Uh, the, the hooded leaf shedding gutter systems, and it's leaf guard uh, and the other ones that have metal hoods over the top, what happens is the attic 
of the house, whatever it is, um, the heat actually melts the snow off the roof or the rain, and it gets out on that metal hood, and as it travels one inch, two inch, three inches away, it drops in temperature, and when it gets to the leading edge of that hooded gutter system and I have LeafGuard too I, I love it. it it's a good trade but it is prone to having icicles because of this metal hooded system you can better insulate your attic you can uh, better ventilate your attic you can do all those things but hooded leaf shedding systems are prone to icicles period um, and and that's just one of the caveats up front frankly I that uh, I, I think needed to be explained um, and and I still choose to have that gutter system on my house because it keeps me off the roof and there are 10 other higher risk problems than I have but over my front door I get out there with it and I knock those those icicles off myself so I, I know exactly what you're talking about here Alice one, one more quick question. The yeah. basement, when we bought the house, so it wasn't a big surprise, it's got hairline cracks, hairline cracks. If we ever want to sell the house, what can we do to make that look better? Uh, it, frankly, uh, when you get home inspections, you have home in inspectors come in, ASHI, American Society Home Inspector. Most pros understand what a hairline crack is and, and that it's really just a shrinkage crack from, crack from the water leaving the cement or concrete, whether it's a foundation wall or concrete floor, whatever it is. So don't really get too worried about it. It's kind of like you and I worrying about wrinkles. You know, it's like, well, how's your health? It's like, well, I've got a lot of wrinkles. It's like, well, how's your health? Well, I've got a lot of wrinkles. Well, nobody cares, you know, except us. So, frankly, it's think of it as concrete wrinkles. They have no consequence, uh, no real downside. They just look funky. So, you know, just think of it as uh, age wrinkles for concrete. You made an old lady feel better. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> All right. Take care, Alice. God bless you now. And, frankly, you know, whether you're 20, 40, or 70, yeah, you're getting wrinkles someplace because Mother Nature and that sun will do it to you. Let's go up and see what's cooking here next with, uh, how about Ken? Hey, Ken, my buddy, how can I help you this fine afternoon? Yeah, uh, I've got a uh, bathroom shower that the tile is in real good condition and the uh, uh, grout is uh, in good condition in the tile. But uh, down at the bottom of the tile where there's a, a shower pan, and uh, I guess that's plastic. And uh, that's been uh, recaulked with, uh, uh, I guess, some uh, some type of poly uh, uh, caulking, and that will not uh, clean up. Uh, I can't get the uh, mildew and stuff off of that. And I would like. I'm really thinking about trying to remove that uh, poly caulking there, but uh, keep it uh, and, and replace that with. Uh, the original um, uh, grout, and uh, how do I get that out of there? The uh, the uh, caulking, and uh, what's the best what's the best way to go on that? Uh, how big is that joint, Ken? That is now a caulk instead of grout. Oh, it's maybe uh, I, I guess maybe a, uh, a quarter, uh, probably about a quarter of an inch or so. Okay, number one, caulk is the proper product. Um, the reason for that is that vinyl, um, that fiberglass base, vinyl, whatever the product is, when you hit that puppy with hot water taking a shower, it gets bigger. So it literally gets taller and it gets longer. So it slips back and forth at a much 
greater rate than that ceramic tile wall. So you will slowly and inevitably grind out the ceramic tile uh, grout that goes, so it's a hard cement material, but the plastic base moves. So inherently you need a plastic pliable something to bridge from that effectively a concrete surface tile wall to that vinyl shower base. So caulk is the right material. Uh, you will need to cut all that out. Um, and I mean old grout too, because here's kind of how the mother nature works. Gravity is, you know, gravity's gravity. Water comes down on that tile and it goes down toward the floor. It gets into the tile grout and soaks in to some extent, no matter whether it's sealed or not, and it comes down the wall. So three hours after that shower is done, the moisture inside that tile and grout is continually moving toward the shower base. So if it, if it winds up at the bottom, uh, whether it's tile grout or caulk, it will mildew because it can't get air and heat to dry out. So this is just a normal, customary, recurring homeowner maintenance issue. Cut that grout out, uh, cut the, uh, the caulk out, and let it dry. And that may mean a dehumidifier, that may mean a fan, but let it dry for two or three days. And before you do that, you need to clean that really well. And that means usually using like an alcohol, a little bit of bleach, disinfect what's in there so you want to kill what's in there. But the real issue is you're just negotiating how long your new caulk is going to last before it too turns black because that moisture will continue to travel inside the, the tile and the grout down to the floor and there's just no circulation down there so keep your shower door your shower curtain your bath fan on uh, put a timer on your bath fan switch if you have a switch on and if that shower fan doesn't run for 60 to 90 minutes after the shower's done you're just you know, you're doing a Petri dish. Washington University does research with stuff like that in labs. So, you know, don't give them a leg up in, in your shower. So just be aware, Ken, it's, it's really dry, really clean. Kill the mildew that's in there. And, and then you may need to apply your caulk in two different lifts and use a material that's either kind of a, a urethane. Usually it's very expensive caulk. Anything that's, you know, less than five bucks a tube is no good. So you're going to use, um, you know, either the silicone uh, or a urethane product down at that base, and it's only going to last you three years before it's ugly again. Okay, <laughs> so so uh, there's there's no way to permanently do that. You just got to go back and do it and do it uh, every few years or so. Yes, yes. Now there's a trick. Um, there's a trick on uh, kind of property maintenance that you know after some years uh, that tile sits down at the bottom. You can actually uh, put in a, you know a four inch uh, backsplash of granite, of cultured marble, of something of a solid material that doesn't have so much you know. So basically, if you have a topped angular piece of stone, uh, then at the bottom that is inherently four inches up or four and a quarter, three and seven, whatever the size of that one course of tile. So there's another way to do this. Um, and, but inherently, if you have drywall behind that tile, you know, it's a wet wall. It's just wet. You know, it, drywall, even moisture-resistant drywall back in the days when I was putting it in in the 70s, it just wasn't the right product. It was the best thing we had at the time. But, you know, today they're just, you know, the cement backer board, the old tile, um, mud set tile back when, you know, before that. It's just better stuff. 
Okay. Well, real good. That that answers my question. And so, uh, thank thank you very much. Been huh. listening to you for years. <laughs> Thanks, and, Ken. Uh, I know I've got one listener. Then there we are. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, Cam Wex. I am truly happy to be here. This is something I look forward to every week. And, you know, I just, uh, it's kind of my Cam Wex family. And, you know, what goes around comes around. So I try and take good care of my community, and they take good care of me. 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am sharing with you all the mistakes I've made in my life. Well, not all of them. Most of them related to building materials. Although I've got a long list here. If, you know, I, I can tell you a lot of things about, you know, humility and gratitude. All, you know, but yeah, you can read that. On, you can learn that on Sundays and Saturdays in, in Temple and church 314-436-7900-800-925-1120 scott mosby camoix at your service welcome back to the helitech foundation repair home improvement show now once again here's your host scott mosby on kmox all right, my X family. Hey, if you believe in what we're talking about here and you think value is there in these answers and what we share here on X, share it with a new homeowner. Yeah, pay it forward, pass it down. Sometimes your part in making sure some of this experience gets to those that are, you know, doing battle on Saturdays and Sundays, building the deck, the basement, whatever it is, or just trying to figure out, how do I change a doorknob? Here it is. Call KMOX, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Tune in to KMOX, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. every Saturday. When I'm off, uh, as I will be for the next two Saturdays, uh, you know, I have to go to school. Uh, you know, it, there's, a, there's an accountability. There's another side to having these answers. It's getting in front of people that know more than I do and getting their answers, too. So, anyway, what goes around comes around. I share them with you, and I pester others that have greater experience than me, and that's how I learn and pass it on to you. Let's see what's happened with my friend Donna. Donna, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. How may I help? Hi, Scott. How are you? Uh, I have a question. Um, with this last little rain we had, uh, I had some um, leakage in my basement, and it seems to be coming right underneath a concrete front porch. And I was wondering what I can do about that. Um, well, the water will continue to come in. Um, the way those front porches are built, uh, think of those as an elevated parking garage. They're typically on a front porch on a poured concrete form. Uh, they're called haunches or brackets, and they're concrete angular brackets, just like a shelf bracket, only concrete. So uh -huh. your front porch, when it gets poured, it's hanging up in the air. And the soil underneath that front porch may settle because that's where the overdig was from when they poured the foundation. They dug the hole, put the foundation in, then they backfilled it. And that surf that uh, soil around the outside of the foundation is loose and fluffy with a lot of air in between. Over the years, it settles, but your front porch won't move because it's supported by something else. So you could actually, you know, have basketballs, football, beach ball void sizes underneath that front porch, and it's down below the surface. So when the water comes, it goes down to the lowest surface, and that could be the big void underneath your front porch. 
So okay. it's not that there's there's not really anything wrong. It's just not right because the soil settled, uh, and until you get that void filled to make that water a better offer, that run off somewhere else in the yard instead of underneath your front porch. That's kind of the way well, it is. So two choices are either uh, waterproof the foundation with a Helitech and get the let the water come in and handle it at that point with the uh, um, the hydro waste system and the sump drain and all that. Or you basically call Helitech to have somebody come in and, and put kind of a mud grout or poly grout underneath that, not to lift the concrete in this particular way, but just to fill that void. And then there's a low-tech way. You know, you just stuff, uh, you know, soil down and not gravel because if you pound gravel in there and it's clean and it doesn't have all the fines in it, you know, it just has a whole bunch of air and you still have the water going in. So just be yeah, aware. Yeah, and that's why so many critters live under your front porch. Like, I know. Oh I was going to say, I do have quite a few critters living under there. So, um, and I was kind of aware that there were some voids, but I didn't realize it could could be huge. So yeah, well, thank you, you know, very much for the information. Yeah, low-tech is just some real dry soil um, jammed in from the side with a 2 by 4 or something. But, man, you can skin your knuckles and do that three or four times and fail each time. So, yeah. you know, basically you need to fill that void without ruining your existing drain tile, which most houses built that era have some sort of water management down there. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, the information. Huh. Thanks for calling, Donna. All right. Bye. Next up. All right, bye now. Next up, let's talk to Alan and see what's cooking there. Hey, Alan, good afternoon. How can I help, sir? Hi, Scott. Um, I've got a uh, concrete retaining wall off, off the side of my house. It's uh, poured concrete, and uh, it's it's probably about eight foot high, estimated. And I'd like to build sort of some kind of a fence or something on top of that wall to keep, you know, the, anything, anybody from falling off you know, to the surface below, which is also a concrete driveway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know about attaching some kind of fence or something to that, to the top of the wall that would be strong enough uh, to, you know, to keep someone from falling off. i kind of scratching my head here. Well, um, first off, um, it's a valuable enterprise and undertaking because it's a safety and a liability issue. So your homeowner's insurance would gratefully um, appreciate your keeping people from taking headers off of your uh, retaining wall there. Um, number two, this is a common issue for front porches, front stoops, that sort of thing. Um, you know, the, the good old boys in my day uh, would actually take a soda can and bury it in the concrete when they poured a new front porch and it left a three inch round hole about four to five inches sometimes six inches deep and they would set the wrought iron or the new railing down into that hole and fill it up with cement at the time and now we use an epoxy or you know non-expanding or shrinking material so the point is is you can uh, do a core saw basically like a hole saw of concrete and drill down into that concrete creating a hole uh, and then put whatever your material is whether it's steel or aluminum whatever and because the moment the lever the um, if you just put little feet there with little uh, anchors into it you've got a three foot tall railing that has a three foot long lever over probably right. an inch and a half long foot so the you know the power you know, the multiple of that lever is a big deal. So you sink it down in or, you know, here's the other ticket, Alan. You wrap over the face and you have an L-bolt bracket 
to where you know for you know your your push or lateral load would come from the upside toward the downside so you would wrap that bracket maybe four inches on the top horizontal surface of the wall and then maybe down six or eight inches on the face if you have that and then you just bolt uh-huh. right into the concrete but your your you know your question is well founded uh, it's real uh, both from the value of that uh, fence or or guardrail and mm-hmm. and then the the connectability. Yeah, I've seen I've seen those little L brackets on the bottom of little, I would say decorator kind of fences. But I think you're right about that lever arm about being able to push those right out. And I really, I think your option about that L bracket is a very good idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it, frankly in building retaining walls, the steel inside that retaining wall is based on the same thing. So, retaining walls often have footings that are two feet wide at the bottom to hold up the wall, but then that footing extends sometimes as much as four feet horizontally under the hill because of that same leverage bracket. So sometimes the footings and the wall and the steel itself are a huge undersoil L bracket to keep that wall from pivoting and and doing the same thing you're having issues with that uh, railing. Great. Okay, good idea. Thanks, Scott. All right, Alan, good luck. The, the proof's in the pudding. There's a there's a whole lot of effort and expense in doing what I just described, but, you know, it's the right way and it'll last. Yeah. All right, good luck, my friend. All right, thank you. Bye now. Uh, and uh, stay tuned. We've got more coming up. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an afternoon of Camwex. Stay tuned. And we've got some great questions, some great calls. I'll be right back after this on KMOX. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, KMOX listeners, remember, if you're trying to get things done for this winter, get started soon. Whether you're doing it yourself, building a doghouse, it takes time to design. It takes time to select the materials, the finishes, the colors, uh, even, you know, whatever kind of opening is going on your doghouse, what roof material, what slope of the... The same. Imagine a kitchen that has literally hundreds and thousands of decisions. Get started, whether you're doing it yourself or getting a pro, get started now because it's the decisions, the homeowner, the consumer decisions that take the time. Get going. Let's see what's cooking here. Go back to the phones and talk with Tom. Tom, good afternoon. Welcome to Camwex. How can I help? Hey, how you doing? Fantastic. That's awesome. Hey, I got a little problem. Maybe you can help me to figure out what to do. Okay. All right. So as my rental property sat vacant over the summer, my next-door neighbor at the rental property had a little retaining wall built. The guy that did it for him uh, crushed my connection to the lateral sewer line in my neighbor's backyard. Nobody told me anything about it, and because there was nobody living in the house, it wasn't an issue. But when I started to uh, get ready to uh, go back over there, I find out now that my next-door neighbor has capped off at the break, that sewer line that runs to the to the uh, to the common connector in the lateral sewer line over there. Ouch. Now he's telling me that because it's on his property, it's not my fault. I mean, it's my it's my responsibility. Uh, I, I have a couple of questions. Is, oh yeah, I bet you e- do. Huh? I'll bet you do. Is there an easement for sewer in St. Louis County? Oh sure, uh, any. Yeah, anything, any sewer, 
uh, typically starts with an easement um, and it would be recorded so that would be something that would be of public record it would be at the county uh, recorder of deeds so that sewer I would I would take a trip down to MSD are you in St. Louis County unincorporated St. Louis County MSD says it's not their pipe it's a lateral uh, St. Louis County sewer line that that my my connection and the neighbor's connection connect to it in his yard in a common connector. Uh, mine was crushed, his was not, and he capped my sewer line. He, his father-in-law did it. Well, you know, there's nobody living in the house, so then it wasn't a big issue. But now I got some people who want to move in there. I can't use the water. There's no sewer service. Who is responsible for that? Um, actually, uh, who developed, who put the thing in? Because basically, when you bought that property, you had rights to easements. And I'm getting in, you know, this is more like ask the attorney instead of ask the builder guy. But typically, the uh, person who put the sewers in is accountable to stay on their own property or have an easement, the legal right to use somebody else's property. So it's possible that your neighbor is correct and Mo, Larry, and per- Curly put your sewer in in the wrong place. It's not uncommon common for, um, you know, especially when you're developing a new neighborhood of, of not knowing exactly where the property line is and, you know, they don't expect a problem. So, yeah, I can't tell you whether this is, uh, you know, go left, go right or straight ahead, but uh, you're exactly correct. There needs to be an easement for that property line and it's possible that your sewer line runs under his property and you do not have the legal right for that. That's That could be the case as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and again, you're, you know, now you're going to have to bayonet the dead about 10 times instead of avoiding the problem, you know, 50 years ago. But, you know, it's a big deal and it's a big mess. And, and you may indeed dig up your backyard and retap the sewer lateral yourself and indeed may need to get an easement from somebody else to tap it in where it, it it's a big deal. And uh, I, I would go toward your, um, uh, what am I looking for? Um, uh, title company, uh, because the title company typically will know all about this, and if there's a problem like this, sometimes the title insurance you purchased when you bought this property may uh, help you through this. Anyway, they have the staff, the attorneys, and the expertise to kind of guide you through this, so I would find out who holds your title insurance from when you bought that property, you know, what you paid, 300 600 800 or 18 whatever the fee was. Uh, but they can help you through this, and, and uh, it's kind of like their language. So I would contact your title company. Let me ask you one more question, and I'll get off, and I do appreciate your time. Sure. Is it against St. Louis County Code for his father-in-law to cap that pipe if he's um, a master plumber, master drain layer? Yeah, yeah. Nobody messes with a sanitary sewer but a master uh, drain layer, and, and that's not the same as a plumber. So a licensed plumber is not the same as a licensed drain layer. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it's kind of like a dentist and a heart surgeon are not the same guys, but they're both, you know, physician um, doctors. Well, St. Louis County doesn't seem to want to go after him for doing that to me. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I've been on the phone with everybody and, you know, except the state attorney general and the Department of Public Health. So, well, I mean, I can't, I can't get any relief from anybody. Well, until you get a surveyor to find out where exactly those property lines are and you dig up and find out exactly where those sewer lines are, you don't even know who done it. 
So the burden of proof is now on you. But, you know, frankly, uh, you know, getting in between two neighbors in a shooting war is not what St. Louis County wants to do. So they're trying to keep their heads connected to their shoulders. And they're not necessarily in the go back and, you know, enforce something that somebody done, you know, 50 years ago. So uh, unfortunately, this is one of those not good situations to where you're just going to have to dig it up and find out where it is and get a, a surveyor just to find out whose property line that sewer is on. And even to fix it, you need to find out where your own property line is to get it right anyway. Big deal. Well, how, could, how could they tie into that lateral line without having an easement? Uh, possession's nine-tenths of the law. They're dug down eight feet in the wall, in the ground, and they don't, you know, the guys that put in that sewer, you know, they're not exactly sure where those property lines are when they're out in the woods. They're, and they're not exactly where streets are and, you know, houses. When that sewer was put in, they were probably in the middle of an empty field. So it, it, it's not that uncommon for this stuff to happen. It's unusual for anybody to, you know, be that unneighborly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, well, these uh, much, make Have a quick a phone day. call and say, "Hey, man, I just dug up your sewer. What do you want to do? I think you're on my property." That's a whole yeah. different game than capping it over with, you know, Bubba and some cement. Yeah, it's unreal. Okay, yeah. thank you. All right, sir. Take care. Home improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. We've got so much to talk about. Let's see what's happening with Mark and uh, what's happening in his world. Hey, Mark, how can I help, sir? Hi, Scott. I uh, love the program. Listen often. Um, I bought a flipper home about a year or so ago, and I understand, you know, they cut a lot of corners. They did put granite countertops in, and how would I be able to determine if those were sealed? Does not granite countertops need to be sealed? Uh, I'll tell you what. I put in granite for 15, 20 years without really sealing it, and not all oh, granites okay. are not all granites are the same. You get some granites from this part of the country that's like a sponge, and you get some granites from that part of the world, and it's like you mm-hmm. know uh, uh, impervious steel. So uh, all granite does need to be sealed, and the, what really made that a big issue was when the quartz manufacturers started coming out saying, well, we want to sell our stuff against quartz. Let's, you know, sell against the sealing nature of, of granite. So the need to seal granite is overstated, in my opinion, as a marketing okay. tactic for the opposing product. Okay. Uh, but if I would choose to seal it, um, just go to the box stores and where would I find sealer for that? Oh, there's Perfect. granite sealer. And it's it's basically like spray some Windex on the stuff, let it sit for 60, 90, 120 seconds, and wipe it off. So it's really a low-tech process. It's nothing more than a topical sealer. So right. uh, it's easy to do, you know, three times a year, four times a year. But, uh, you know, ounce of prevention, it's a good practice to go ahead and do that. So um, okay. you can get them at a granite supplier or various places. Right. But all the hardware stores, okay. just go and say, I want granite sealer, they'll give it to you. It's, you'll okay. be fine. Very good. One other quick question. I've only got about 10 seconds, Mark. Can't, can't do it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for holding on. Uh, stay tuned. So much coming up next here on CAMWEX. We've got the Blues coming up tonight. Blues and the Blackhawks. The pregame show, 630 tonight, right here on KMOX.